This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, we dive into the paranormal with Andrew Bustamante and Paul Babin as they share their experiences on everything they found while filming Beyond Skinwalker Ranch, a TV show you can catch on Stack TV. Have you registered your security cameras? In Surrey, police want your help. They say register with them with the police and they'll be able to contact you if they need help. Handy Andy Barrar joins us to discuss how these home systems have helped residents with emergency workers, including thanking them by talking back to them as firefighters were at the house with wildfires and so much more. And are you okay with stay-at-home girlfriends? And how about track and field? Canada won some medals. Cool stuff. It's all on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Skinwalker Ranch. Nope, it's not something you put on your salad. For those who don't know, um, it's a place. And it's a place that's had all kinds of different... uh, We just lost Paul. We'll keep going. Me and you, Andrew. Um, It's a place that's had all kinds of different wild things happen. Uh, Andrew and Paul join us. Return to Skinwalker Ranch. Catch it on Stack TV and all the Prime channels and all over the place, in fact. Um, Let's start, Andrew, with an understanding for everybody. What is Skinwalker Ranch? It's a very creepy place with unidentified everything, I think, is probably... Because you can't say it's aliens. You can't say it's not mystical you can't say it's not some sort of belief system it's all of the things thrown into one little chunk of dirt yeah skinwalker ranch is this fascinating place in utah and really the the heartbeat of what makes it so interesting to to paul and to myself and to the investigators out there uh, are a combination of its really unique history of strange phenomenon and its history of ownership by a gentleman named robert bigelow who had these really uh, interesting and uh, and compelling connections to the U.S. federal government and to the the search for UFOs and the search for uh, alien technology and how it might be used in a practical sense. So those two things kind of come colliding together on Skin uh, Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. So there have been a lot of investigations there. There have been TV shows there. A uh, quick summary, uh, Paul, if I may wild electrical readings underground in the air um weird lights at nighttime animal mutilations uh just creepy uh things buried under the ground like there there is a whole history of weird that goes on there um was it as creepy as 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 i would think i would find it <laughs> i was just thinking as you rattled off that list you know you could keep going probably for for a long time for minutes uh, with the list of, of strange things that have been observed, experienced, uh, recorded, uh, and just sort of, <laughs> frankly, vibed on yeah. at, at Skinwalker Ranch. Uh, as Andy points out, um, it has a long history that is both uh, sort of experiential and observational and with the ownership uh, uh, story of the place. Its location in Utah, which we can talk about more later, um, is also of historical relevance and really interesting sort of uh, significance for a lot of reasons. Um, but yeah, would you find it creepy? I mean, I you know I think one thing that Andy and I joke about a lot is we don't always find this kind of stuff creepy. It's more just like so interesting. Um, and while yes, there are you know things that are that are are maybe creepy 
Uh, it's more just like, what is really going on here? You know, is it anything at all? Is it something we don't understand? Is it something we don't know how to measure or observe? So yeah, it's, uh, it's all that. And Shane, one of the things, one of the things that's important to highlight too, man, is, you know, creepy is oftentimes something that happens when you're alone. Right. But I know I had the benefit of traveling to all these strange places with Paul. So I was never really alone. I don't know that I'd walk Skinwalker Ranch at nine o'clock at night by myself, Paul. I'll be honest, dude. <laughs> I was just going to say, was it always really a benefit to have me along, Andy? <laughs> um, security guard for you, uh, keeping you safe from right. the creepy things. Yeah. Both of us, you know, trying not to, to freak each other out. Wow, there would be that temptation though, wouldn't there? Like out. to just oh, like yeah, that. yeah, it's so real. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you know, one yeah. person hears something go go, you know, thump in the night, and then you both start to pontificate on what it might be. Yeah, uh, and then right. little things go thump, and yeah, it can it can get hairy. Well, fast. humans are really good at adding meaning to everything, and and I was going to ask that question, so I'm glad you brought me there, Andrew. Is that the reality is is that we have this ability to put meaning on everything. I mean, it's sort of the essence of humanity, and yet in moments like this, you have to be careful not to. Uh, kick that ball down the hill and cause the avalanche of the emotion to take over because, you know, fear drives, I hate to say it, everything. And yet when you're in a moment like that, even if you're joking around, I'll never forget, I had this one roommate, we lived in this really weird house. And I said to him, I said, Hey, were you, uh, were you up last night? And he's like, No, were you? We used to sleep with our doors open. And he was like, No, I thought you were up last night. No, I could have sworn I, I saw you sort of looking at my room. He goes, No, I I, I thought you were up and like, I'm, I'm not weird in this house. Are you weird in this house? He's like, no, unless you're weird in this house, then I'm weird in this house. And then, and then all of a sudden from there, it just sort of, you know, snowballed into, oh crap, we're both terrified at nighttime in this house. And then every noise, every thump, every bump at that point becomes dramatic. So how do you be careful when you're not going around like this? Cause this is a place where people claim to have actually been hurt. Yeah. And I think I'm big, sorry big, though, but. <laughs> Go, go ahead, go ahead, Andy. <laughs> I want to know: Did you guys figure out what it was? Like, who was seeing what? You moved out. <laughs> See, you moved you out. There, yeah, you moved out. No, perfect. So, I'll yeah. give you the address though, if you want to do a show on it. <laughs> you never know. Maybe there's, maybe there's something. Oh, there is something there. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. But Shane, you're you're exactly. Yeah, Shane, you're exactly right that there is. You know, humans attach meaning to the unknown. And that's really what we're talking about here is this there's a there's a tendency <clears throat> for human beings to try to define what they don't know and what they don't understand through a lens of what they do understand or even what they believe. So what was a big challenge for Paul and I is we were actually called in to take the investigation beyond Skinwalker Ranch. Right. You know, we started at Skinwalker Ranch and then we found those locations around the United States that showed similar phenomenon to Skinwalker Ranch. And then our job was to go out and investigate those locations and see how much overlap, how much uh, truly uh, data-driven connection could we develop between these additional locations and Skinwalker Ranch itself. And we focused really heavily on the data, Shane. That's, that's how we tried to take the human assignment of, of meaning out of the equation. And we tried to focus on hard, measurable data. What could we see through radio frequencies? What could we see through electrical uh, uh, 
readings, what could we do in the soil, what could we do in the sky, um, how could we put some sort of framework that was science derived instead of human experience derived, mm. and use that as our foundation. Well, one of the things of the history of Skinwalker is beams of light, electromagnetic, uh, you know, measurement and all that stuff is that the technology fails. I mean, it's unable to read it. So regardless of you being pragmatic and saying, well, what do we not know here? When the technology fails, does that start to change the look and go, uh oh, because it's a bit of a guardian, the technology, a bit of a guardian for us, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're right. The technology is a uh, a challenge, and it's both a benefit and a curse in a way. And I think that's why Paul and I strategize to use multiple types of technology at each location. One of the things that we had a benefit of doing in our investigation was seeing and learning from what had happened at Skinwalker Ranch in the years prior to our investigation. So seeing how their equipment failed, seeing how they had electro electrical magnetic anomalies informed our strategy for how we were going to carry out our investigation uh, in the field. Mm, fantastic. Um, Paul, did you find Elon Musk living there? <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you if I had, there would have been a bit of a situation, you know, <laughs> not, not, I'll be, I'll be candid and maybe I'm going to get flamed uh, by some of your fans. Not a huge fan of Mr. Musk. Yeah, yeah I'm not either. So. Um, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So, but uh, no, we did not find the, uh, the, uh, the disembodied brain of Elon Musk, because I'm not sure the one that's in his head yeah. is is in a jar in the mountain. Uh, but that's another, yeah, another matter. But I wanted to, I wanted to back up to something you said earlier that we we were talking about, and Andy, you answered it really well about the stories and the data, because you know anecdotes and observations and experience are always the starting point, right? Uh, and that's as as you both pointed out, that's where humans make meaning. This is how we understand the world. Things have to fit into a pattern uh, that, you know, pattern recognition, pattern imposition is what people do uh, so well. So when things don't fit um, and and you're trying to figure out what, you know, what what world, what reality this makes sense in, the only way to do it is with data, right? Um, and sometimes we get some interesting data and sometimes, our, as Andy mentioned, our, our instruments don't work. We have tons of telemetry and technology that Andy is as you can see from watching the show, much better with than I am. <laughs> I'm more of the story guy, right? I'm more of the uh, listen to people. <laughs> the user error but guy. He's very good at that too. Much more technical. Yeah, human error is, is my specialty. Uh, the operator error. Hey, man, this, this this thing is not working. Oh, it's because, oh, it's that button. Sorry. You're the dude. reason why they ask uh, you if it's plugged been... in when you call tech support, right? Exactly. Nice. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to the crew about me. Um, but no, so I think the, you know, the point is, is that story is always the starting point. And if you look at it from a human perspective, it's also the, the, the end point. Like we have to make sense of things. And when they don't make sense, that's when things can be really interesting. Yeah. Right? Well, that's actually deeply philosophical. That story is the starting point and the end point, right? Um, and uh, I like that. Look at you. You should write a, a, a meditation coaching book. Um, the so okay so tell me about one of the stories with and i don't want you to give me the end story i don't want anyone to hear um how it turns out that that you guys that you went through that sort of maintained the storyline of all things weird about it i mean the beams of light the you know the sounds the vibrations the everything um but that you guys were forced to investigate because it happened to you is there something that you can share with us just a little bit I'll, I'll tell you right now, Shane, that we, we were called in to research some cattle mutilations in a, uh, in a ranch that was in Colorado. And right out of the gates, I mean, here's a topic that's been researched heavily since the 1970s. 
Uh, and Paul and I were coming in and we were kind of like, you know, there's all this historical information, but there's not a lot of historical data. There's nothing that was scientifically derived, just a lot of story, right? A lot of speculation, a lot of story driving, you know, questions about the cattle mutilations in this Colorado ranch. So we went out there kind of not expecting to see much. And instead, as we started layering in science into this location, we started finding electromagnetic variations. We started seeing, you know, strange uh, signatures that were on the infrastructure. I mean, I, I was standing outside not too far away from that location. And, uh, and we, we witnessed ourselves strange lights in the sky at night, like actual unidentified flying objects, UAPs in the sky at night that we couldn't identify in real time, but we were able to capture on all of our instruments. So it's when you see these compounding, it would be strange enough, Shane, if it was just one of those three things that we saw. Right. Because any one of those three things exists on Skinwalker Ranch. But to see all three of them at the same time in a location completely separate from Skinwalker Ranch, but then record them all using scientific instrumentation that we can then take back and compare against the results at Skinwalker Ranch. That's really what made it kind of a, a step beyond anything that that people have seen on television before. You've seen people talk about stories. You've seen people apply science to stories, but you've never seen people apply science to a, to run specific experiments in geographically different locations that confirm the same results across time and space. Okay, so you say confirm. Now, isn't that interesting? So where I was uh, going to ask for that after that is that what does it do? Does it lean evidence to the validity of Skinwalker or does it dilute the specialness of Skinwalker because of the fact that you are having these other locations that are doing the same thing because Skinwalker has been sort of the mecca of weird of late. And yet if there are multiple locations that are doing that, does that make Skinwalker less special or does Skinwalker provide evidence to the other? Which way does it go for you? I was, if, if you could see those phenomenon everywhere, then I see where your concern is about diluting the specialness of Skinwalker. But instead what you see is that, you know, 50 miles to the east of this ranch, is a city and there's nothing strange happening in that city right, right? And, and paul and i are taking uh standard measurements everywhere we go just to see the variance from place to place mm. so instead i would say you're getting a situation where the strangeness of skinwalker is multiplied and built upon when you see the strangeness in another location where they have the same kind of phenomenon but in a different place paul were you surprised to see the same sort of things happening in in these other places well I, I guess yes and no. I mean, to, to this point, I mean, one of the things that, you know, that I've learned over the years, of course, and anyone who, who, who looks at this stuff a little bit is, you know, people experience strange things um, all over the world throughout history in lots of different locations. Uh, and there are places that are um, hot spots, you know, the same way there are clusters of volcanoes or, or you know, uh, uh, you know, other sort of features of our, you know, physical space time, you know, reality. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's at all sort of diluting the interest or, you know, the brand of Skinwalker, if you will, that we might see similar things elsewhere. Uh, we might see one thing that's, that connects or, or two things or nothing at all in this place, even though they've been reported. So it's like, you know, all of this is just trying to understand why it happens at all, right? I mean, so before we even get to, let's, you know, set aside, does it make this place more or less special? Like, we don't need, we don't have any understanding of these things. So any place we could find out more about it is, is worth looking into and is only going to sort of, you know, 
help fill out the overall picture of of what it is that we're dealing with at all. Yeah, very well right? said. That's really cool. Um, was there <clears throat> now of all the things of you know you said mutilations in other places? Was there one thing that seemed to be recurring the most from location to location that related back to Skinwalker? For me, it was the radiation readings. We continually saw organic radiation readings that were far above average, far above average, meaning 300 and more percent above average, right? Three times the norm. So you could imagine how freaked out the American populace or the even the Canadian populace would be if mm -hmm. everywhere you went, radiation, just, just uh, baseline radiation levels where you were living, where you were working, where you were eating, were 300% above normal. Uh, so it was really strange to us when we would continually visit these sites and see these radiation spikes location to location. Again, not at the airport between locations, not yeah. in the cities where we would reside before launching out to the investigation site, but actually on the investigation sites. To points to Paul's point about the clustering effect of strange phenomenon, it's a very valid point, and it's something that really proves out in the research that we've done because there seems to be a clustering effect that either includes high radiation level readings right. or the clustering effect creates high radiation levels. We're not sure which it is yet, but we have seen it on Skinwalker Range. Right, so the uh, the set of circumstances becomes very similar between all the different places. Now, Paul, um, when you go through this, I mean, you're spending less time on technology, partly imposed by your colleagues, but partly because that's where your interest lies. Um, is it hard to put? They don't let they don't let me touch the expensive stuff. Yeah, anymore. right. <laughs> is it hard to put your head down at night after this, guys? When you you get charged up, excuse the perhaps pun there. Um, when you when you're going to these places, and regardless if I, I'm going to make some assumptions here. I'm assuming Andrew's probably a little bit more left brain. Paul, you're a little bit more right brain um, in that your experience for yourself is different through it. Now, maybe you're all excited to parse the data or maybe you're just kind of going over the what ifs of your of your your mind and your meaning. Um, is it hard at the end of an investigation day like this or after a late night of nighttime investigation to put your head down and shut her down and have that self-control of that experience? That must be tough. <laughs> I was just laughing at the image of a left brain and a right <laughs> brain melding into some kind of super brain. Um, I think Andrew and I, you know, for one thing, the, 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 it's funny when we go back to interviews like this, I start calling him Andrew again. It's Andy. Everyone calls right, him Andy, Andy in the field, but it's like, I get back into formal mode. Um, um, two things. I mean, yes, it's, it's, it's great when we're, we're, when something big happens, uh, whether it's something that Andy and I observe or things happen to the crew or we get, you know, just, just a, whatever you want to call it a, a moment, right? We do get excited. Um, that said, doing this stuff is so exhausting. Um, I, you know, when you watch the show and you see us, you watch us for an hour out in the cold, like in a blizzard, so you got to realize, you know, and this is this is Andy learned this because this was his first time doing television investigations. Every minute of shooting, every minute of final footage, like we're out there for like an hour yeah. for that. So if, if we if you see an hour of television, that's like 16 hours of shooting. So by the time we finish this stuff, we are exhausted. Like it is hard work to get out there and do this stuff. And the whole time, you know, you're trying to, you know, make sense of what's happening, get ready for the next experiment. Uh, rebased, you know, um, so it's sort of an all in effort. So yes, it's exciting. We get charged up and yes, then I want to 
you know, we, we crashed. Yeah, yeah and I've, I've totally second that because that's exactly what it's like, Shane. <laughs> the first two or three days of an investigation, yeah. you're out there and you have exactly the situation you're talking about, Shane, where, you know, it's it's midnight and your mind is racing. But come day six, day seven of an investigation, you are just <laughs> shattered. Like you're just broken. So you come back. The, right. the real challenge then becomes the four o'clock in the morning after you've had five or six hours of sleep, you then bolt awake because your brain just made a connection between two pieces of data that you were that you were chewing yeah. on the previous day. Yeah, and then it might have been two days apart even, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, there's something here. And then you can't go back to sleep. So you start at 4 a.m. and everybody else wakes up at 6.30 or 7 and you know you just can't wait to tell them what you thought of. I feel like projects like this are why people end up in straitjackets. Do you, do, you, um, do you leave with so many more questions because of that moment you're talking about, Andy, that when, when people are, like you're, you're connecting all these things and maybe you're just walking through the park, you know, walking the dog one day and you're like, oh, wait a second. And then all of a sudden now you've got more questions. This is how people go crazy. Yeah, you're not wrong. You you oftentimes find yourself with five questions for every new piece of information that you get. And then we're forced to prioritize those questions because what Paul and I have to do, we have a limited period of time to do it, uh, both in terms of budget and also in terms of availability of each of these locations. So we've got to prioritize what we're going to research. We have to prioritize the questions and the, and the tools that we're going to use, all the logistical and support elements that go into getting the tools to the place where you need them. Plus, like we were saying, Shane, secondary and tertiary platforms in case your primary platform fails due to the history of strange phenomenon that are there. So, I mean, absolutely a straitjacket or, or at least heavy sedatives. One of the two is going to be something very <laughs> useful. How's it for you, Paul? Or, or, or yeah, yeah. I, I, I prefer the sedation route myself. <laughs> um, big fan, although comfy clothes, whether, you know, restraining garments are sometimes helpful. As Helmet. Well. Um, no, I think the, uh, the, the, Andy's exactly right. I mean, you know, the stuff sort of spins around in your head and, and sometimes it, sometimes the, the things link up and make sense and other times they don't. And you're left with just a, you know, what the <laughs> bleep myself there just happened. Um, and why, uh, can't we get it to happen again? Right. Like why, you know, why can't we, you know, we missed recording that, or, you know, we know that, that we were this close or whatever, you know, the whole thing is just such a, it's a nonstop machine. And yeah, we're also, we're on a production schedule. We have limited time and availability of these places and the people involved, uh, and we have to keep moving. So what you're going to see, uh, in season two is we will be, I know I can tease this, you know, going back to certain locations where we have, you know, unfinished business um, or to maybe, you know, repeat something and see if we can get better data. Um, you know, see if there's something that we know we wanted to try, but didn't have time to try. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, you know, the, the beat goes on on this stuff, you know, sort of all the time things are happening now, you know, and we're, we're not there. Yeah. So and Shane, anyway. and Shane, I also want to add just briefly, like you're talking to me and Paul, and we're just two people of the 16 people that went into making this documentary effort, right? Yeah. And I, 16, more than that. True, yeah. true. And I also want to highlight that, yeah. you know, Paul and I were, were invited to be part of this investigation in large part because we had a lot of proven history of field investigations. Paul's a very a, a well-decorated uh, field journalist. I'm a uh, field intelligence collector with CIA. So we're comfortable being in kind of the the murk and mire of this nasty world that we can be in sometimes but that doesn't 
that doesn't include all the people who were on the crew with us. And we did see some people in the crew get pretty, you know, get everything from from uh, uh, episodic nightmares to people yeah. who had strange, you know, feelings like they were being watched or visited, uh, what they call a hitchhiker effect. So there were members of our crew, you know, good-hearted American people, good-hearted professionals in the television and documentary world who, you know, got in not not over their head, but most certainly had those harrowing kind of unsettling moments that Paul and I, we didn't get, but we were so hungry to have. Yeah. Well, and worth noting too, like you could have had, um, you could have had, you know, uh, Joe Action Sport who does uh, skateboarding, you know, on your camera crew. And they've never been to a scenario like this. And, and, and they're just, you know, that's all new to everybody. That would be terrifying. This is why I watch your show and I don't go <laughs> to your show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, you know what? It's funny. That's going to be a tagline for season two. Beyond Skinwalker, we go there. So, so you, you don't, don't have, have to. That's a very, very good point. And that is okay with me. Um, I have no desire to go. I'm fascinated by the place. Uh, the shows have been great. Now, this particular uh, show, eight one-hour episodes beyond Skimwalker Ranch, um, premieres coming mm. up on the long weekend, next weekend. This weekend. This and next um, on Stack TV, Prime Channels, all of those things. So for everybody who can get in on it and watch it and learn it, I promise you... Um, it's gonna, it's gonna leave you feeling feelings. I can't tell you which ones it's different for everybody, but it will leave you feeling feelings. And if you're at all like me and I might be soft, I prefer watching it in the afternoon, not before I go to bed. I think that's a fair ball. Uh, Andrew and Paul, you'll catch them on the show. I appreciate you being here guys. Absolutely. Our pleasure. And, uh, and thanks so much for the opportunity to come in here and kind of give a little bit of our input before you get to enjoy the, uh, the, the ride along with us. And yeah, to Paul's point, we spent uh, days and weeks out there investigating and we were, you know, what we collected was really just pretty astounding. Yeah. I would just like to acknowledge the fact that um, Paul even broke Zoom um, to start this conversation. <laughs> so speaking of the tech issues, right? So I had a setting where I could close my laptop and Zoom would keep running, right? Because it's easier to not be looking at yourself all the time. Well, guess what? That didn't work this time, and I just cut <laughs> off the call like as soon as we started. So good. The world uh, wants to look at you, Paul. I, I always just want to stay in character. Yeah. <laughs> keep right? it uh, keep it going. You guys are great. Thanks so much for this. Appreciate it. Thank you, Shane. Hey, thanks, Shane. Thanks for having us. This is The Shift Podcast. I have a buddy. He's on the West Coast. He's in Surrey, in fact. And it would appear that the beard race has begun. Shane Hewitt in the city of Airdrie, just north of Calgary, Surrey, outside Vancouver, or part of Vancouver, depending on who you ask. Some people get really mad about that. Uh, Handy Andy Barrar is here, handyandymedia.com. Now, Andy, we have begun. Uh, I think I talked you into the winter beard, which yes. if we were having a beard race, you, um, like your DNA is going to crush mine. Like You sneeze and you have a beard. Um, but you, well, it's, it's interesting. We, we both started growing a beard at the same time. We didn't even like 
like talk about it and it looks like it just kind of happened uh, instinctively for both of us that the weather's changing yeah it's time to grow it's a time. beard it's like as i call it it's the sweater for your face you know it oh, keeps it is. you warm when you take it off it it you feel it oh you feel right? it yeah yeah for but i've had the, it off uh... for i've had it off for several months now and i've gotten really used to being like clean shaven Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I can't figure out what's the better look beard or no beard. I'm always like, I don't know on the fence. Well, so I, guess, I just change this it up. Is the thing. Well, I go with Melanie every, we go through this. Every, my mom hates it. Right. And my mom's like just relentless with comments about the beard. She doesn't even say hi to me anymore. First, she'll just make a comment about the beard. And I think it's because as my mom calls it, my beard, my beard is uh, Arctic blonde. So uh, I don't like to call it white. Um, I like to call it Arctic blonde. <laughs> Love and it. Um, it, it's it's so white, it ages me so much. It's one of the reasons why I like it, because it puts like 10 years on me, and then I take it off after Christmas, and then I feel young again. It's like, I'm like, hey, look, I'm young. And yes. so that feels good. Like, I, I think that's all right. It's a good way to go. The, th- the thing, though, is is that like Melanie always says, oh, man, the beard. And then it gets to the point where it gets a little scraggly. And, oh, man. But then usually around early November... It's like oh, I kind of like it, so I don't yeah. know. There's, a, I don't know. There's, a, I think there's a masculine thing about a, a beard, but it's got to be. I've learned this. I, I did the, I did the uh, like the set it free Willie beard, and it was like out sideways. I've got pictures of me in Hawaii in front of palm trees where my beard is like sideways. It's very uncomfortable. Do, do you do you trim the uh, your neck part? Yes, that's where that's where things can get crazy. You know, it's like a party down beard. there. It is yeah. a party down there. It's um, it's uh, beard oil's the secret. You got to keep it well, um, well lubed. Yeah. Stops the itchy, helps with the itchy and the sides. You know what drives me nuts? Always by the end of it is um, tickling my ears at nighttime. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What well, mine is the mustache. If you let the mustache grow, then it's like over your lip, and then when you oh, try you can't to do eat, that. Yeah. Well, so I, some guys I will. They'll, they'll really groom it out to the sides, right? They get those big, long, bushy ones. Yeah. But I don't know if you've ever taken a bite of food and um. Like, I know that women know pain, but I can tell you this as men, the biggest pain you will experience ever in your life um, is when you take a bite of a sandwich and you have a whisker from your top lip oh, gets stuck between ouch. your teeth when you take that bite and it slowly gets pulled out just one hair. Ouch. It hurts like nothing. I've had a toenail taken out with no anesthetic. I can tell you, accidentally pulling out one whisker in slow motion, it competes with getting your toenail cut in half with scissors. Good to know. This is yep. good to know. Hey, Just another thing know. I was thinking about. What about the mustache? You know, mustaches aren't cool. Like, there's that Canadian shop putter or something like that. I saw a clip, and he had this like really nice '80s mustache, and I was yeah. like, oh. Yeah, young kids are growing the mustaches. Yeah. Demi, Demi Moore, or Demi Moore, Demi Knight's here filling in for Anna O'Donnell, and uh, and uh, let's just get the let's get a, a proper opinion here about the facial hair on the dudes. Uh, Demi, no pressure, but speak for all women around the world. What's the rule about facial hair? I don't I don't think there's a proper rule. Some people really pull it off, and some people should never, ever, ever have it. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, mustaches, mm. popular right now, the sort of 80s throwback look with the young men. Yay or nay? No, never. Okay. No um, one ever. Then, so what about the beard though? Like long beard, is it, is it is it more of a hygiene thing than it is actually like the look of it? Because there's all kinds of different mustaches, there's different kinds of beards. But is it more of it? Is it well kept or is it more of a? Because uh, like keep it short, let it go long. 
Like what you you sit down with your girlfriends. You've been at stagettes and bachelor parties all summer. There's got to be a mm-hmm. guy who's walked by with a beard, and one of your girlfriends went, "Ooh, I like that," or something. Or no, that looks we terrible. avoid it. No, avoid the yeah, beard. Yeah, it's got to be like it's got to be short and well kept. If you're if you're growing a beard, it's got to be short, very well kept, because it it hurts your face. Like it hurts mm-hmm. a girl's face. It's mm-hmm. not nice. We don't want it. Okay. All right. Yeah. There you go. There's your answer, Andy. Speaking for miss, all women you know, everywhere. It, yeah, yeah, speaking it, for all women there. Demi says. Wow. That's the thing. That's the and here we are growing beard, Shane. What are we doing? Yeah. You know? Yeah, Demi says. So Well, I uh now we know that's a bit of a downer on the whole beard convo, but all right. I think it's all right as long as I've learned that as long as you keep it clean and and you got to go without chicken wings for a few months, at least without the the slimy ones. You got to go into the, you know, you got to be salt and pepper or lemon pepper only, you know? I just want to let it grow, like like a six month beard. You know, I think every man should do that. See what you look like if you were like lost in the mountains, and some nobody found you, and you come back, and they're like, "Whoa, where have you well, been?" You're like, you "I got lost." You're gonna be all by yourself, either way. Yeah, with that beard. Yeah. Um, okay, um, we weren't here to talk about beards, although uh, the fellas will appreciate that conversation. Get a good barber, appreciate your barber, let your barber do the grooming and the shaping. Um, it's worth it. Pamper yourself just a little bit. And trust me, the people who like to look at your face in your life are going to appreciate it too. I think that's a, I think well, that's going to take your advice. I'm taking your advice. Right. I, I've never got my right. beard trimmed before, but this is the yeah, year all, all because of you, Shane, go get a shave, a proper hot shave too. I mean, pamper yourself fellas. Yeah. Come on, let's go. Let's get to it. Okay. Last week here with handy Andy, we talked about how, um, doorbell cameras were allowing people to watch what was going on in their neighborhoods as long as they still had power or internet and whatever. And that's sort of where we started this conversation. Now we can expand on that because more has happened yeah. sort of on the good news front with doorbell cams and conversations and people still watching. I mean, this whole new world of having forest fires and fires go through neighborhoods, this technology is letting us witness it completely differently than we ever have in the past. Yeah. And it can happen both ways. You know, a lot of people had to evacuate. So they're, they're leaving and now these fires are happening at the same time. So, but they do have that ability to tap into their doorbell cameras and get a live view of what's going on. And it's been kind of interesting. Like one person who I, I know there was a story of his house burnt down and he found out, but then his neighbor actually had the footage from his doorbell camera. So we showed up. It must be heartbreaking to, to see that. But you've seen other instances where firefighters we're going onto people's properties to protect their homes. And, and, you know, because the doorbells have motion detection, they have sound detection. People could see that even though they're evacuated, they're watching this on their phone as these firefighters are saving their properties. Now, the thing about these doorbell cameras is that they have two-way audio. So you can actually talk. And so a lot of these people, what they were doing was taking the opportunity to use that feature to thank the firefighters who were on their properties at that time for all the work, hard work they're doing because, you know, obviously they've evacuated. They can't really save their homes, but the firefighters are there. So that's a really interesting take on these doorbell cameras, which a lot of people get because of online shopping, uh, porch piracy. They want to make sure if a package gets delivered that they can see it. Even the doorbell manufacturers, Shane, have noticed that and they're creating doorbell cameras with two cameras, one that faces up so you can see somebody like at your door, but another one facing to the bottom of your door. So if they do leave a package, you're going to be able to see that package on the bottom. But it's really interesting to see with the forest fires, how doorbell cameras have 
given people that ability to check in on their homes during these these firefight or these wildfires and also thank firefighters when they do come on their property. So I thought that's a really unique and interesting way of utilizing this smart home technology that a lot of people are installing into their homes. Can you imagine being the firefighter who's, you know, standing on the front deck getting a, a look at what's coming down the road, soaking things down, and uh, you know, you got your your hose in your hand and you're spraying all the things you hear. Um, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, thank you for your hard work. <laughs> like yeah. there would be a little bit of probably a little startling, I would imagine, but incredibly cool and satisfying i would imagine to be able to say thank you to those people that are working so hard to save your stuff yeah there's um there's been a lot of interesting cases of the footage that people have seen on doorbell cameras there was another one that i saw online where somebody was trying to break into someone's house and they saw that and so they notified the police the police come and they're doing their investigation this lady saw this guy hide in a dumpster so the cops are like walking around. She's like, he's in the dumpster. He's in the dumpster. Oh, yeah. Road. Did you see that video? I think I did. Yeah. And they're like, oh, he's in the back or something. She was able to lead the cops safely to find the guy. Yes. Yes. And and she did that by using the two-way audio to be able to talk to the police officers because she had multiple cameras around her home so she could watch what they call continuity as he moves you know, from one side to the other, she's watching on all these different cameras, saw him hide in a dumpster because he saw the cops are coming. And sure enough, they open it up. There he was. And she's watching this the whole time from her doorbell camera. Now, there is an interesting story that we're going to save until after the break. But before we get to that, this is all private property, right? This is somebody's private property that they put a camera on to protect themselves. Everyone's entitled to have their private property and their view of their private property. This whole notion of having cameras everywhere still is kind of scary, though, for some people, right? Like, I find it comforting. I don't fancy myself to be, you know, a criminal who uh, has to worry about walking into a mall and have it recognize my face. But at the same time, you know, we talk about AI and people with nefarious agendas that want to, you know, maybe scam or recreate things and, and make things be bad. I mean, do we really want to have the ability to see everything because as humans i'm not quite sure we can handle it yeah well we have that technology you have that option and the video quality on these are are quite amazing like they're definitely hd but now they're going to 2k so it's two times what you would see in 1080p and it won't be long until we have 4K video footage. So you could see pretty much everything. Not only that, when you have 2K or 4K resolution, you can zoom in and get really good clarity. So, of course, and we'll talk about this later, but the police love to see people that have these doorbell cameras, especially if a crime occurs in that neighborhood. The big question is, what do you do with that footage? Handy Andy Barrar is here on the shift, and he's uh, hanging out with us now. Um it all started with a conversation about a beard, but it now it's going into um, policing here. HandyAndyMedia.com if you want to uh, get in touch and follow his YouTube channel, by the way. It's a great way to um, find out what Andy's been up to. Now, Andy, we talked about doorbells. We talked about the fact that people could see the fires in Kelowna creeping up to their houses. Uh, in your neck of the woods, in Surrey, police are asking you to, not you, everybody, maybe you, register their cameras 
Now, this seems interesting to me that they're asking you to register cameras. So I'm assuming it becomes a faster for investigation if a crime happens on your street. That's right. Um, the police obviously loved having these cameras because of what they can, you know, help solve crimes in certain neighborhoods. But what they have to do, Shane, is go door to door and ask, look around. Does somebody have cameras? Oh, they do. Knock on the door. Someone's not home. They have to come back and do it again. So what they're thinking is, let's create a database in the city and get people to register. If you do have these doorbell cameras or security cameras, you can then register with the city to let the police know that you have them. If a crime occurs in your neighborhood, they can look at that registry and be like, oh, so-and-so has some cameras. And then they can contact you to ask if they can get that footage. Now, by putting yourself in the registry, it doesn't mean that they have automatic rights to your footage. It just lets them know that you do have a security camera system, a doorbell camera system in your home, and that you're willing to provide that footage to the police in the event that a crime occurs and it may help with their investigation. It, this has happened to me. I've had police come to my, my house, knock on the door, and say, we noticed you have some security cameras. There was an incident the other day. We were wondering if you had anything that, that came up. The unfortunate thing is with my security camera, Shane, they, these are wireless battery-powered Wi-Fi cameras. So you could put them anywhere, but it has to be within Wi-Fi connection of your home. Um, because they're battery-powered, I don't have them armed all the time. And this is the issue with security cameras is you'll get a lot of notifications all the time every time motion is yeah. detected. So I have it set up from like midnight to 5 a.m. So if anything happens during that time, I'm going to have that footage. But if it doesn't, chances are I won't have it. Uh, Mr. Barrar, we notice you have 18 six-foot-tall marijuana plants in your backyard. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Probably more, probably more of what was going on. Um, so, yeah, I have my cameras here too now, and the thing what they, they claim to be able to recognize, you can actually put upload pictures and it'll recognize people. So right. it won't give you an alert if your you know child or family member comes home. And you can tell it to not go off for cars and not go off for animals, pets. But it will go off for the shapes of people. But I find that there was no real way. Like it was recording on the recording setting. It was recording everything. And that was problematic to me because it was just constantly doing record loops and giving alerts and motion detection and and all of these things. Then I got this bright idea that I'd put one in the front window. But then at nighttime, when the light inside reflects off the window, we can't even see outside anyway. So that was a bad idea, Shane. Well, at least you tried, Shane. You know, you got to okay. kind of move them around to get that best footage. But you uh, note a very interesting problem of these cameras is all these false notifications that you're not really worried about. Then you stop paying attention to it. Yeah. So what you're saying is what they've been doing is they're actually embedding AI into the camera itself. So it can discern the difference between a cat and a human being. Um, it even has like certain noise detection. So if it, it can understand broken glass and be like, okay, that sounds like broken glass, we're going to start recording. However, it's not perfect. The garbage truck goes by and it's like, oh, that sounds like broken glass. And then you get an alert. The AI is getting better. Um, Handy Andy Barrar is our guest here on the shift. What he was talking about is the fact that we, um, 
that you get all these false notifications, you have to pay for all of these uh, bits and pieces that it's like this eternal, it's like they're the subscription of the online server is really what, what gets you. And it, and then that never goes away. You're always paying. You used to be able to do it with your computer inside your network. Andy, we're out of time. We lost connection there for one second. So I'll take this opportunity to say thanks for being here, buddy. That beard looks awesome. You keep it going. Thanks, Shane. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you? Are you? Are you? Okay. 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 Are you okay with? 877-399-9898. Almost gave up my office 800 number. That's not right. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here and you can contribute to this little uh, segment that, that we got here called Are You Okay? Now, I'm, I'm going to actually jump ahead one story because I want to get at this one. I think it's really great. Um, are you okay with? Okay, maybe two stories. Stay-at-home girlfriend. Now, uh, it could be stay-at-home boyfriend. This particular story talks about stay-at-home girlfriend. Are you okay with that? It's a trend today. Demi? Um, yes, I am all for that. And I appreciate all women who want to do that. Mm-hmm. Girlfriend, though, versus stay-at-home mom? Um, yeah. No. Yeah, they can You don't just, think the relationship just... status matters? No, I don't think you need to have kids. I don't think you need to have pets. I think you can just be any age as a woman and and stay home. Good for you. <laughs> I find it um I find it interesting. And you know where my head goes? Um it doesn't go to this incredibly um healthy place that yours went. <laughs> but it goes to um it goes to gold diggers, like rich dudes with um you know that have that have someone who just you know is looking for a free ride and so i wish my my natural response was healthy like yours uh but i i i it's not it doesn't i'm just being honest my my response was also very sarcastic i think you should work i mean i just i think you should be self-reliant because you never know what's going to happen would you think that if somebody was a stay-at-home girlfriend that puts an unfair amount of pressure on the relationship where people might stay in the relationship longer because um, the relationship the relationship maintains the person, not the person maintaining the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, isn't that just like, that's alimony, isn't it? People get Basically. used to a certain type of lifestyle and then they stay in it for the lifestyle. And then it's pressure on your partner who's providing for you that... They can't get out of work because they're providing for two people. Right. Now, some people, I mean, that's just they 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 want to be, say, a homekeeper. I mean, if there's mm-hmm. kids and whether mom or dad want to stay home and, and raise the children, I think that's fantastic. I mean, that's a job or three in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I agree. That is a full-time job, I think, having children at home. Yeah. Totally different oh, story. Yeah. It's like 10 jobs. Nurse, mm-hmm. taxi driver, cook, mm-hmm. cleaner, counselor, list goes on and on. Okay, uh, 877-399-9898. What do you think about this? I'm curious to get your thoughts. The notion is, are you okay with a stay-at-home girlfriend? Um, some houses, I think in today's world, though, it takes two income-earning people in an average family to be able to afford the house. So that's legitimate, but in some ways... Maintaining the home, um, that's a job in itself. 
someone could stay home and maintain the home. In today's world, we have a lot of opportunities to make money at home, you know, through different various things at home, whether you have a small business at home or whatever. Does that count? Well, that's true. But then I don't think you would be a stay at home girlfriend. You would be making your own way still, right? You wouldn't be, if you were working from home, you could still be self-reliant. Right. Do you think you could ever do it? Do you ever think that you could stay home and have your partner like literally give you an allowance? Be like, here, Demi, here's your $500. Absolutely not. I couldn't. I think I've, I've had a job since I was technically underage in England when I was like eight. Um, and I've Yikes. always had a job since, and I couldn't imagine not having my own money. Yeah. I I could do it if I had kids, and then I was looking after the kids. I feel like that would be totally normal, but if I was just staying home for no reason, for nothing, no, I could not. This is where viral trends online, I think, are often misunderstood and wildly unfair. This little concept of stay-at-home girlfriend is catching on, uh, catching some steam, if you will. A new lifestyle and a viral TikTok trend that's been sparking quite a debate online. Maybe some jealousy, too. Apparently, there's a TikTok trend where young women are celebrating their decision to be stay-at-home girlfriends since their boyfriends are wealthy and providing for them. But some are wanting them to be financially independent uh, on a person. It's not like the smartest thing ever. And that you're not legally married, so if he dies, all kind of stuff could go wrong for you. Is this a problem or for you? Or if he dumps if he dumps, if he dumps Yeah, either way. That used to be called a kept woman in my day. But what do you, you know? do? What do you do all day? Hopefully watch The View. <laughs> yes. No, they, according to the... They have things to do. They meet for lunch. They have Pilates. I don't know what else they do. But, I mean, I what could do never do, do it. Like, I, 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 beyond, like... It, what you're are you doing? Meals, like, I, I'm an anxious I need to do stuff. Like, also, what are we doing? Even if you're married, women should always have a little of their own money. I feel really shy. My parents got divorced when I was six. Like, you should not be dating somebody yeah. and hoping they don't dump your ass and then you don't have anything that's to provide right. for yourself. That's right. Like, that's bad. That's from The View on ABC. Now, Demi, I, I feel like the relationship status matters here. If you're going to be such a good partnership... Now, not everybody has to get married. I get that. But I think it's safe to say that most people, even if nothing else but for the tax benefit, get married um, because it is more efficient. That if you're such a good partner that you're going to be the support partner for, you know, your boyfriend or whatever, then why wouldn't you just be married? Why is it stay-at-home girlfriend? You know? Like, I feel like there's a gap there. There's I feel like there's this champagne expectations of a pepsi relationship yeah but but you know what i think it is too this is like a social media tiktoky thing um i feel like most of it's just not real like i feel like they're mm. posting all this stuff like oh we're doing all these cool things i don't work my boyfriend so i don't know rich and it's probably half not even true but if i'm if i'm the rich person in this scenario do mm-hmm. i want my girlfriend i'm to, i'm i have a thing about saying girlfriend like that's like it's not wife right like do i want my girlfriend saying going out saying my boyfriend's rich i get to stay home here's me by the pool with my mimosa i don't feel like that's that's anybody's business yeah but i do feel like if you're the type of boyfriend and, you know, you have no plans on getting married. And I'm assuming this is mostly younger people. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's your exact type of personality. I Maybe you so. want 
your girlfriend to be young and hot and just bragging about you. You know what the, um, that would be nice, eh? Someone was uh, mm. just bragging about you all the time. That'd be mm -hmm. nice. I, I find, um, I find this uncomfortable, like, to talk about. Because I believe yeah. that if you're going to be great partners, then be great partners. And at the same time, I mean, you don't have to be married. It is what I subscribe to. But at the same time, it's like, it feels really uncomfortable for me that someone would take advantage of this situation. And, but if you're good partners, like there is nothing wrong with wanting to support and be the biggest cheerleader in the world for your partner. There's nothing wrong with that. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think there's nothing wrong with partners supporting each other through different ventures, through different life stages. You know, maybe you're starting your own thing and you're not financially stable and your partner supports you through that. And then you kind mm -hmm. of give back when you are and, it's like a back and forth. You give, they give. Right. I think it would be weird to be taking constantly. And Maybe that's what home. it is. It doesn't feel like much of a partnership when mm -hmm. someone's going to like sort of just kind of keep the house. And if there's that much money around, it's not like you don't hire a cleaner or a cook anyway. Well, yeah, that's the thing. If they're as right. rich as they're saying they are, they definitely have cleaners. Right. Hmm. The stay-at-home girlfriend online movement where women are taking to social media to share their lavish stay-at-home lifestyle while their partner pays the bills has come at a time when being a girl boss or a CEO, like a CEO, CEO claims to be on the rise. And this is precisely why this trend is so fascinating. It seems that um, some millennials and Gen Xers are opting out of the hustle and grind of capitalism to make way for the pursuit of comfort and ease, relying on a partner to take care of them. I believe they call that socialism. But you don't have to Google far and find essays and articles saying this trend is problematic and even dangerous. Either way, many people are saying that they're loving to see it on their screens, maybe even feeling a little jealous of their so-called lifestyles that other people are apparently living. Let me ask this question, Demi. There is this pressure that women should be a CEO, CEO, or girl boss. And I don't think that pressure is fair either because I don't think that I think everybody could do what they want to do. They can be an entrepreneur if they want, or they can have a wages job in a career where they go to work every day, but maybe their partner's their number one or their kids are their number one or their friends are their number one. Not everybody has to be a girl boss. And I feel like that's unfair pressure that gets put on women today that you're supposed to be fierce and independent. Yeah. I, I agree. I feel like people are losing sight now, especially with everything being remote and you can start your own business so easy and you could, well, not easy, but everyone's telling you you can do an online business and whatever. I feel like there's an expectation now that if you're not trying to do something or do a side hustle or do something for yourself, you're not successful. But I will mm -hmm. say, I feel like that's probably on men a lot too. I feel like if anyone is stuck in, not even stuck, but if anyone just loves their job as a nine to five or in whatever they do, it's almost looked down upon now, which is so strange to me because we need mm -hmm. all these workers in every different facet. Like everybody. Yeah. So I had a friend, um, a sort of a couple friend of a friend and he had a career, an educated career. And he was an industry that, that was really struggling in his industry. I'm going to be vague on purpose here just for privacy, but you'll get the premise. And he was an educated person who was working in, in finance sort of area. And, and then things changed. He lost his job. And in an effort, like they didn't need, need, need the money, but they were a dual income earning family. Like they both worked hard to provide for their family, but they weren't in the down and out desperates. 
What he did was, in the meantime, because his kind of job doesn't come around often, you don't just find another one next week, it takes a few months. He went and actually got a job working at a warehouse at nighttime. And he was lifting boxes, moving boxes, labor job, um, you know, running power jacks and, and moving pallets and things around. And his wife had said that she felt this was the most masculine he had ever been. And she found him more attractive, not because of the fact that he didn't make as much money and he used to wear a suit to work and he did all these things, but that she saw the provider part kick in, the, the purposeful provider of the family. And he wasn't prepared to sit at home when he could be out. And that was the first job he could get where he could be out at least doing something to contribute, even if it meant a labor job, even if it meant nighttime, not inside a business suit in his educated field. And that she actually found that to be way more attractive than his old roles were before. And I don't even know if they kept it or if he kept doing it or whatever, but for them, it was a recipe that really, really worked inside their sort of masculine feminine balance between two people. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense, though, because if his I feel like at some point in a relationship, the primitive levels kick in of like you do want someone who wants to provide, even if you don't need it, feeling like someone wants to provide for you as a woman, I think is great. And I think if that's returned to you as a man, that's amazing. But mm -hmm. I totally get why that would be why she would feel that way. And I, I bet it was not even because of the physical manual labor of the job. It was just the fact that he wanted to provide still, mm -hmm. even if it wasn't in this field. Yeah. I mean, their ego was checked at the door, right? Like his, mm -hmm. the provider part kicks in. I think for most men, the provider part naturally kicks in at some point, right? Not the pressure, yeah. pr pressure to be some sort of CEO, but the, the natural provider part. It's kind of like, it's another thing about the conversation, you know, when they say men need to, you know, stop trying to fix it. And just listen. Yes, mm -hmm. men definitely need to stop trying to fix it and just listen. But at the same time, there needs to be an element of things in, in life, I think, that men just naturally, in their own way, need to fix. Right? Yeah. I think it needs yeah, to occur. I, yeah. I think you always need people that will try and fix things too. Because if everyone just stopped and listened all the time and didn't offer solutions or tried to fix things, we'd be stuck in a cycle in the opposite way. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't work, right? I mean, no. I don't know. I think it's just quite fascinating. I mean, so it's the girlfriend thing for me. I feel like if if I, I diminish girlfriend as non-committal, when for some people it works totally, but um, that if somebody wants to be a stay-at-home partner, I don't care whatever, like man or woman doesn't matter. But if somebody wants to be stay at home for a little while, or, or like you said, build that business, I think that's perfectly okay. But I, I have, I'm, I'm hung up on the word girlfriend. That's what I'm hung up on. I know hmm. it is weird because it's almost like you're a stay at home, non-committed person. And it's kind of clear you're doing it for the money and the status. Then. Okay. Let me flip it. I always say, change the topic, change the clarity. Demi, mm -hmm. I have an opportunity for you. Stay at home boyfriend. Could you Sign go for that? me up? Love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's Demi's sarcasm coming through here in case you were wondering. And she's not saying pool boy, just to be clear. <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting conversation. Do we have time to do one more here? Um, 
We don't have a... Yeah, we can do one more. Are you okay with... Track and field. I like track and field. I think I was, I was never really great at it, but I sure loved long jump. I love track and field. Well, I love yeah. track, not the field part. Just yeah. the running. No shot put for you? I don't think I've ever tried shot put. Hmm. It's heavy. Um, yeah. What was your track, what was your track um, discipline then? Um, I was really good at cross country, mm. uh, like long distances. I got long legs. Um, and then the 800 was my best track. Two laps, not three laps, just two laps. No, because no, nice. no, you can't, like, you got to either be able to sprint, but I can't sprint, sprint. Like, I can't do a hundred sprint. I'm not that person. No. Oh, yeah. God, no. I no. can't do 10, <laughs> let alone a hundred. <laughs> uh, Pierre LePage has become the first Canadian to win World Athletics Championship gold medal. Run, Forrest, run. Run, Forrest. Go back here, you. <laughs> the reason why we're playing Forrest Gump and we can't actually play them winning is because it was from another network. That was more fun anyway. On Saturday, in just one hour, Canada tripled its total medal count at the World Athletics Championship in Budapest. Uh, decathletes Pierre LePage and Damien Warner finished one and two on Saturday with LePage a personal best of uh, 8,909 points, became the first Canadian to win the World Championship gold in the event. He's from Whitby. And uh, maybe leaving Budapest with a little bit sore after twisting his right shoulder in long jump on Friday. You know you you did it hard when you hurt your shoulder jumping. Um, having his knee buckle after clearing 1.99 high jump later in the day. He's a real champ. And then he injured his hamstring before Saturday's first event in 110-meter hurdles. But his injuries didn't hinder his ability to bring home the win. Walk it off, man. Apparently, he'd ran it off. LePage grabbed a silver medal in Worlds last summer behind Frenchman Kevin Mayer, who withdrew on Friday after completing the 100-meter long jump uh, because apparently he's not as tough um, as our guy. LePage and Warner begin Saturday's competition in second and third through five of ten decathlon events. LePage soon climbed to the top spot. He didn't relinquish. Cool. Congratulations. I love Canadian track athletes. I don't think they get enough recognition um, for how great they are. And um, and I think we need to celebrate that. I think it's an important part of what uh, is Canadiana, and it's cool. And, you know, we hear this political talk about the CBC and defund the CBC and all these things. I got to tell you, this is the part of the Canadiana that I think the CBC should cover because this is cool. And, uh, and I love that part. So that part I'm all in all for, even though we're not allowed to play the clip. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.